Good evening. Tonight on Bob Into Buildings, I take a look at Peel Castle. Sited on St. Patrick's Isle, I asked Andy Johnson from Manx National Heritage if he still gets surprised by the finds from the castle site. Yes, still surprises me. I still see new things. I still read back through um, the excavation reports and the, um, and, and the various things that have been written about the castle over the years. Uh, and, and I look around and I, I get new insights and I, little lights come on and I think, oh, right, OK, that's what that means. You know, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's got huge meaning to me. Yeah. OK, let's get the history bit out of the way. The first evidence of habitation here was a Celtic settlement. Um, before even really think the sort of thing that you would call Celtic, we've got we've got a smattering of um, of, of evidence for the very very first hunter gatherers uh, after the Ice Age, uh, around about in this case around about six thousand years ago, in the form of uh, lots and lots of very distinctive pieces of worked flint. Uh, we then have a little bit of. Uh, of Neolithic pottery, a little bit of Bronze Age pottery, but yes, things really start to get going in terms of both artefacts and structures in the Iron Age. And what are you finding? What are these things that you're finding from the Iron Age? From Many the, things from the Iron Age. Um, what what we found is that. Uh, there's there's one side of the island which you know e- e- even with this this sort of mere zephyr blowing around us now um you get the picture that it's quite breezy here there is one part of the island that is the 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 best and most sheltered part and that's where all the settlement activity really concentrates there are a few bits elsewhere but that's the real thing so for the iron age we we actually have the post hole imprints of timber-built roundhouses of various uh, sizes, some of them very, very substantial, some of them a bit more ephemeral, some of them would have been domestic, some of them would have been storerooms, some of them would have been um, for, for um, you know, accommodation for animals. The Celtic bit, when, when is Celtic as far as you are concerned? Uh, well, I suppose, broadly speaking, it, it sort of ties in with that, uh, that sort of Iron Age uh-huh. Thing of, of perhaps somewhere around about 500 BC through to 500 AD. Um, but by then, elsewhere in Britain, you're dealing with a kind of post-Roman uh, environment. We see evidence for that, not not specifically in Peel Castle, but in the uh, environs of, of, of Peel and Glenfaber. And then, of course, you're, you're getting the very first evidence for early Christianity, which played a massive part in the, in the history of this site. The first things, I, I'm assuming it was wooden buildings on this site. So ev- trying to find evidence of them is a bit hard, apart from post holes. It is. You're very reliant on post holes. Um, the great thing is they are the they, they 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 give you that that sort of form of the almost you know the, the the framework the skeleton of the of the buildings that that were here and and it's and it's really interesting to see that there's uh, that there's genuine differentiation between really really massive posts about um 
300 millimeters or one foot in diameter um, uh, forming the structure of the of the biggest of the roundhouses which is actually a storehouse it was a grain store can you believe um, but then also the uh, the the domestic dwellings are, are, are rather smaller in diameter and they use they they, they use a, a, f- a framework of posts that is is slightly smaller also so there's a there's a real the, there's real sort of physical structural picture that builds up just from, from looking at, at this uh, the, the the very basic evidence of the foundations we have this vast area of peel castle were they developed over the whole of this area or were they concentrated in the center of it they were concentrated most particularly on the east side of of the island in the area around about and just to the north of the cathedral and that that is because it's the most sheltered part and then the vikings yes um am i right (laughs) well there's there's what we have is uh very slight evidence for uh something that that i suppose we could best describe as uh an early christian monastery we have we have a, a real concentration of uh, a very simple um, carved stones that uh, were raised as uh, simple grave markers. Um, we have extensive evidence for uh, a, a, a cemetery from around about the 8th century onwards. It wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if, if we happened upon it that we might find burials that, that were earlier. We know... We know that uh, these these early cemeteries go right back into the um, the sixth century, um, but they but but yes, they're they're well and truly here before the arrival of the Vikings, sometime in the later eighth century in the Irish Sea. Quite a famous burial, haven't lady? She is she is of this area, or perhaps a little bit further afield. Um, she we we always thought that her her grave goods were were meant to imply that perhaps she was a local woman who had married uh, a, a a pagan viking sometime in the late ninth or early tenth century and she was buried a little while uh, perhaps a little while after that but uh, we now know from uh, throwing lots of science at uh, at the remains, science which we, we couldn't even really sort of imagine back when we excavated her in 1984. Um, but uh, but we can now say that uh, based on based on the sort of chemical composition of of her uh, skeletal remains, that she she comes from some part of the uh, of perhaps the Western Isles. Uh, rather than necessarily being Manx. Vikings, this was an ideal site for them, wasn't it, defence-wise? It certainly was. Um, Looking looking at where we are, uh, in in the big picture, we, we face partly west towards Ireland, but very particularly... Northwestwards towards the the North Passage between um, uh, Northern Ireland and, and Southwest Scotland, and that's the that's the great sea road that connects us with the rest of the what, what ultimately became the Kingdom of Man and the Isles, um, and 
and and I sort of think of of St Patrick's Isle and the mouth of the River Neb as being this uh it's almost like a kind of goal net or or a pair of wicket keepers gloves it sort of magically attracts people in and and it was a perfect place to to um to to uh bring your your long ships uh and it was the perfect place if you were a little bit uncertain perhaps about what your welcome was going to be uh amongst the natives you could always you could always uh, say, right, well, we'll just camp on the island. Um, we might need to sort of talk to those monks, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort something out. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the sort of combination of the, of the location and then the, the physical topography of, of the, the river mouth and the island and, and the beach, uh, it, all, it all sort of works as a, as a, as a place that... That uh, if you had a long ship, um, that this is where you'd come. Are you aware if the wall was put around all at the same time, or was it done in stages? Are you able to tell that from the we from we the work? we are yes. The wall the wall comes later. The wall comes at the point where the the Norse kingdom has collapsed in 1265 um, with the death of the last king Magnus um, the Scots have have taken over and then the Scots and the English have fought things out so that by by uh, certainly the second quarter of the 1300s uh, second quarter of the 14th century um, the the English are increasingly in control and what happens is that uh, by the end of the 1300s, the Lord of Man, uh, who is uh, t- today he would be a, um, the equivalent of you know one of the billionaires who actually runs the country, um, <laughs> um, masquerading as a, a sort of grey eminence somewhere behind the king, the, the Lord of Man at that time, well. We should actually call him the King of Man because that's actually a title that he was uh, could use if he wanted. But uh, he gets a dispensation to build a castle. Um, it's partly to protect his own assets on the island, but it's uh, it's possibly also to protect the church assets and the cathedral, which is already here. And so what we have is the entrance gatehouse. Uh, built out of red sandstone and the curtain wall that extends for uh, a a few score metres either side of that which is likewise peel red sandstone so all of that is quarried at the other end of the bay carted across at low tide and it's used to to uh, to to create that castle at the same time what they what they did was they put the battlements on the cathedral so it's one of those rarities of of an actual fortified cathedral um with, uh, with 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 quite extensive sort of defensive works, the the little turret that's uh, that, that's sort of joined onto the central tower of the cathedral. That's um, that's for purely for military purposes. It's not as if it's a bell tower or anything like that. It was it was so that you could get up to this fighting top on top of the cathedral. So that's the earliest part of the castle defences, and then in the uh, in the 1400s, probably. Probably around about the mid 1400s, um, you get a process of building a curtain wall, which joins that early castle, 
round the gatehouse with uh, a small number of other tower houses that have been built uh, at strategic points around the, the circuit of the island. And this curtain wall then joins everything together. Um, and as, as I love to emphasise, it is the single largest masonry structure of the medieval period anywhere on the island. It's half a mile long. That's huge. Was the entrance always where everybody comes in now? There's no, no other entrance? Not that we can identify. And if you look at the topography of the island, it does make perfect sense. That's the most vulnerable and lowest part on the circuit of, of the of the curtain walls as it came to be when the castle was, was made complete. And it makes sense because it faces Peel Beach. And, and what you have to do is you have to think that there are no harbour works, there are none of the key, stone quaysides and so on that we know today. Uh, there's no causeway joining St Patrick's Isle to Corrin's Hill. Um, and there's no there's no groin you know that bit that sort of stops the sand um and originally if we go back hundreds and hundreds of years and then ultimately all the way back into sort of geological history the uh, the river neb went out where fenella beach now is and the the strand if you like peel beach naturally sort of uh, the, the the sand bank would would be created and it would it would stretch across what's now the harbour entrance and, and lead you straight to the foot of the castle stairs. Andy Johnson from Manx National Heritage, my guest tonight in Bob into Buildings, looking at Peel Castle. At present we are sitting in the middle of the site in what looks like a church. We are, yes. St Patrick's Church. Um, we we think of this structure as as being uh, as, as it stands now, mostly 12th century, but the suggestion is that the earliest part of this uh, is is perhaps a, a century older, um, and 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 the the sort of giveaway, if you like, is what what, is, what everyone points to uh, are these strange patterns in the in the masonry where we get this herringbone masonry, and that's. Um, that's often referred to as a as a rather typical uh, Southern English, um, uh, if you like, early English or, or late Anglo-Saxon way of uh, of, of of building, uh, and and that's uh, it's connected. It is said with uh, Olaf Godridson, the son of Godred Croven, who is king for forty something years in the first half of the 1100s and he spent his childhood as uh, as a kind of hostage in the english court um and it was it was very much the sort of standard thing of the time that that the that that lesser kings um demonstrated their allegiance to greater kings by saying um yes uh, you can look after my son <laughs> i trust you i trust you yeah uh, and and the great thing is the great thing for the island is that olaf i am sure learns all sorts of statecraft diplomatic skills administrative skills or knows who to ask for those um, and and the result is that that the kingdom of man and the isles 
he sort of takes something that his his father sort of uh, knocked into shape quite literally with um, with sword and axe and fist, um, and and he turns it into something that is a powerhouse holding the balance of power amongst much bigger kings um, in much bigger countries. It probably meant he got weaker enemies. <laughs> well, perhaps, um, perhaps it was uh, in in some measure due to to his skills. Ultimately, uh, in, in a way, it's almost ironic. He uh, he succumbs to one of those age-old things uh, that you find uh, amongst um, the Vikings, and particularly amongst um, Viking nobility, the, the sort of family vendettas and and infighting, and also the the problem that comes when kings have uh, children by more than one uh, wife uh, and um, there's, no, there's no sort of rule of primogeniture and so, and so in the end he, uh, he, he succumbs, uh, he's, he's assassinated by, by, um, by his nephews. Below the cathedral we have that religious cell mm. which is about the worst place on the island, it just makes me go queasy. And you as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I can remember. I can remember when we were digging here on 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 really bad days, uh, and and there were a few of them. I mean, we we got the tail end of hurricanes that flattened our tent and things like that, and. Uh, 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 you know, we we would sort of put people to we would carry trestle tables down there and put people to pot washing, and uh, very soon the water got freezing cold and things like that. Um, and uh, it was it was a very short step to sort of imagine just what it would have been like. But what's what's really exciting about that is that the um, the the very earliest part of the cathedral. Is is sort of built around the uh, the, the chancel end, the eastern end of uh, of of the existing structure, and the barrel vault that you've got down below is is a, a kind of adaptation uh, or an infilling of uh, of that earlier structure. So that behind that stonework, it was in the core of the of the walls that are there now is the earliest part of, of the cathedral. But it, it was almost certainly originally uh, a reliquary, a place where, where important Christian remains, perhaps even the, um, the, the, the bones of St. German, or maybe it might have been the odd chicken bone, because that's kind of what they did in those days. Depends um, where they bought it from. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where those, those sorts of things would have been kept. And maybe some other treasures um for for safekeeping um who knows it's it's extremely difficult to to sort of get any sense of whether the original monastery here or perhaps anything that came after in the early centuries of the existence of the cathedral whether there was anything that was of you know real value that perhaps isn't here anymore because somebody nasty came and took it away but but certainly that's that's the that's the um the the, the sort of genesis of, of that reliquary and then of course it becomes a, an, an ecclesiastical prison behind us we have a garrison are we aware how many soldiers would have been garrisoned here there are indications in 
the garrison roll of 1428, which is one of those rare snapshots that we have. Uh, I can't remember uh, exact numbers off, off the top of my head, I'm afraid, but certainly what you then have are various other snapshots, for instance, uh, around about the time of the surrender of Peel Castle at the end of the Civil War in 1651, when um, uh, Ilium Doan's Manx Rebellion uh, uh, places all of the the major military assets into the hands of, of the invading parliamentarians. Um, and we can look at that and, and get a sort of sense of, of you know, perhaps... 50 or more soldiers for definite um, in a way you could perhaps conduct some interesting experiments with the garrison hall by by just looking at the size of it and thinking well everybody you, you had to provide bed space for everybody and if you gave them all you know three feet or something of of space for a bed and uh, you know kind of mattress or pallias a straw a straw mattress uh, straw filled mattress and 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 some of their equipment if you did that then you would perhaps have a sense of a, of a kind of maximum theoretical um, number and then of course there are there are officers who were probably billeted in the various smaller turrets that are, that are part of the of the curtain wall but by and large the garrisons, the sort of standing garrison, would be actually quite small. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's one of those things in reality, it would, it would sort of stagger from emergency to emergency. And then, you know, in, in, t in times of trouble, um, the Stanleys would probably bring maybe professional soldiers across from, uh, from England... Um, and of course, there's, there's then also the, the, the thing that we, we simply can't get a, a proper handle on is what's the size of the militia that's potentially out there in the Manx population. And we have all sorts of amazing uh, little bits of information that, that could allow you to build up a, a a bit of a picture but um you know you're relying on things like that there are laws that say that uh, you you have to you have to do your duty for the uh for the watch and ward around the coastline and it's if you miss more than a certain number of consecutive um duties then you know you 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 forfeit uh, you forfeit some goods and then you might forfeit an animal and if you're really really naughty you might forfeit your life to to um to the uh, the lord of man so there there are things like that there are um uh, little little sort of details that surround the um the activities of the captains of the parish and when they go around with the uh with the with the burning cross to sort of raise the population you know this this perhaps may give give a sense of of uh of, of who might be called upon and certainly when the um when when the Earl of Derby uh, goes over to England um, and ultimately gets caught up um, in uh, in the Battle of Worcester and so on. He takes he takes Manx soldiers with him 
Um, and it's and it's traditionally sort of referred to as uh, as, as being a regiment. But you know, reg- we our idea of a regiment now and the size of a regiment perhaps in the in the mid seventeenth century is is a, is a little bit different in terms of scale. But uh, it it does it does give you sort of pause for thought as just how how much a conflict like that really affected ordinary people because. They wouldn't necessarily have been volunteering for any of this. It might well have been uh, that they were sort of placed in a, in a, a totally invidious position and forced to serve in you know, great fear of their lives and potentially w- without much sort of soldiery craft to, to sort of keep them safe. It always surprises me that we have Peel Castle and we have Castle Russian. Once again, why? I would have thought that Peel Castle at the time was easily defendable. You could, you've got this wonderful vista all the way round for boats coming in. Can you work out why they built Castle Russian? I think at the period that you're looking at, um, late 1100s and into the 1200s, what, what, is, what is important at that time is that um, for all that the uh, the the sort of Viking way of looking at things had been tending towards the north and west, the the reality of the day was that increasingly it was towards England, in other words, the south and the east, that that the island was was sort of facing both both in terms of overall strategic importance uh, but also the sort of mindset of uh, of, of of the rulers and indeed the the preeminent um, members of of manx society and for all that castletown by any stretch of the imagination at the time uh, it would have had very poor harbor facilities nevertheless um, it, once you think of Derby Haven as being the 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 the, the, the real harbour for Castletown. Um, that that kind of makes a bit more sense. And so that sort of connection through to the mouth of the Mersey, the mouth of the Dee, uh, the whole sort of Chester area and ultimately uh, further afield to places like the Bristol Channel and the uh, and the connections, the, the, the more distant trading connections that places like that offered with the continent as well as with, with lowland Britain. That's, that's really why you have this change of focus. Peel Castle has been featured tonight on Bob Into Buildings with great help from Manx National Heritage expert Andy Johnson. You can listen again to tonight's programme plus previous programmes in this second series and also the first series as podcasts at manxradio.com. I'll be back next week at the same time with another feature building in the present series. Mark Tiley is next with greatest hits. So from me, Bob Harrison, good evening.